What if your mind was stolen? You had me cloned. Your body duplicated. I want my life back. This season, take back what's yours. That serious, are you? I'm dead serious. Schwarzenegger. The sixth day. Welcome to Podcast Action Hero, the show that's in your house eating your birthday cake. Get to the chopper! ask you a bunch of questions. Hey, Christmas tree! And I want to have them answered immediately. I'm not a pervert! You son of a bitch! My neighbors are very sensitive. Get your ass to Mars. I'm not shooting on you. Fuck you, asshole. Hi, my name's Gavin. And my name is also Gavin. <laughs> because it's about clones. <laughs> my name is actually Jamie. You've got to give me a heads up about that. I was so, <laughs> I was so confused. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so, yeah, welcome to Podcast Action Hero, where we basically talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger films for an hour. And in this episode, we're talking about 2000's Sixth Day. Uh, Jamie, what is your history with this film? My history with this film began this week when we watched it. Well, when we spoke last time, you thought that you'd seen like the first part of it or the first... Oh, no, that's true. I did try and watch it one night when I was just... Obviously, just had nothing better to do. Um, and I remember Dennis Leary being in it, but I was mm-hmm. thinking of Michael Rappaport. Yeah. Easy to get those two mixed up. They're both equally annoying. They are really annoying. Actually, no, uh, we, we did have a little conversation about this off-air. I... Don't dislike Michael Rappaport as an actor, and I'm sure he's a he's a decent person because like he's also he's quite often quite vocal about good causes and all that kind of stuff. He's just oh he's annoying to listen to. That's all it is. So yeah, I didn't know it was about clones. I didn't know anyone who was in it really. Um, the I the first time I watched it, I fell asleep at the point where they were driving to work, which is basically what three minutes in. Yeah, it's pretty Five early. minutes, maybe. Yeah. Um, and I didn't pay much attention to any of the dialogue or any of the uh, any of the text at the beginning, which lets you know what's going on. But now I know, because I've watched it twice. Yeah. Well, how did you feel about it, watching it the second time? Because that's, that's twice within a few days of each other. Um, I think once I got over the initial, I wouldn't say disappointment of the film, but you know when you don't, I never like a film as much the first time. Even like my favourite films, the first time I see them, I'm always a little underwhelmed. And this time, I knew exactly what I was getting into the second time, so I kind of watched it. It's a 90s film. It's so 90s, despite being 2000. And I watched it in the context of, it's a 90s, 7 out of 10 kind of action blockbuster. And once you're settled in and you know what you're getting, it's alright to watch. It's quite, It's quite easy. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of signposted to this at the end of the uh, the last episode um, uh, where we did we, you know, we talked about Terminator and then we chose the, uh, or rather the sixth day was chosen for us by the Wheel of Pain. And uh, I remember at the time thinking that it really is a Wheel of Pain because I did not enjoy this film at all the first time that I watched it. <laughs> and, you, you know, for anyone who kind of like listens to that episode, you can probably pick up on the disappointment in my voice when this film was selected. I remember watching this, probably not when it came out, I definitely didn't go to the cinema to watch it, so it was probably when it came out on, I mean it would have been VHS probably back then, Um, might have been a DVD, possibly 2001. It's right around that time with the changeover. 
Yeah, it was probably around about 2001, 2002 when I watched it. And um, I think at the time I really considered myself like a bit of a, a Schwarzenegger purist. And so, because I'd really sort of grown up with Terminator, with Total Recall, with Predator and, uh, and Commando. So I had a very specific idea in my head of what a, a Schwarzenegger film should be like. And this wasn't it. You know, and I think it just it grated me a little bit that I wasn't ready for it. However, having watched it when we watched it together uh, early this week, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Yeah, I think the weird thing is Arnie doesn't do normal well <laughs> when he's playing a man who co-runs a business. I think it is, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he's meant to be the boss or not, but he's got a lot of uh, sway in that place anyway. But him as a, a husband and father and a guy who just works in a commercial sort of adventure, uh, X Games slash adventure trips kind of company, I didn't buy it. But I buy him as a man at the centre of a conspiracy who's got no idea what's going on. Because he can sell not knowing what's going on very well. <laughs> yeah, I get that. There's a, uh, there's a meme that I've seen going around where it's uh, it talks about how in some of Arnold Schwarzenegger films, he's basically a regular guy who where nobody questions his thick Austrian accent and the fact that he's like a you know a huge bodybuilder. Nobody even mentions it at all. It's less egregious here because he's always wearing... Well, I mean, the accent, you can't get around that. He's not an Adam Gibson, no matter what you say. They don't <laughs> give him a reason to be Austrian. But he's never dressed in a way where you get to see how well built he is he's just a big yeah. guy and yeah, I can kind of buy that uh, one thing that really struck me when we were watching this and I was making notes was immediately this struck me that it was as though somebody had got their first ever copy of After Effects with the the titles and everything was kind of like overlapping and, and wiping and it was just so over the top right away and I think that was possible one of the things that originally turned me off this film it was just too much the early 2000s especially were all like new metal and um, extra flashy kind of stuff. You know, like Mission Impossible 2 is pretty much my oh, yeah. kind of like the peak of that and like Gone in 60 Seconds, all that kind of stuff. All around this era. It's like you say, first time someone's used something before they learn nuance. Yeah, exactly. And it, it reminded me, and, and here's where I'll, I'll bore listeners and this probably won't necessarily make it into, the, uh, into what we put out, but it reminded me of like years ago in my day job where... I was essentially given a, a project to work on, uh, which was a presentation, a PowerPoint presentation I had to design that had been with a couple of these guys uh, who didn't work with presentations, but they had to put this thing together. Uh, and they were taking too long with it, and nobody could figure out why they were taking too long. And so when they gave it me, they said, go on, you know, you, you do it, you put it together. And uh, when I opened the file, it was called Project X, which should have been my first indicator that something was up. Mm-hmm. Because these were grown men who'd uh, who'd basically put this thing together, and the PowerPoint file was something like 120 odd megabytes, which is ridiculous for a PowerPoint file. But when I opened it, and it took a long time to open, I saw why. Because every single slide had word art in it. Every single slide had a transition. You know, it would like disintegrate or wipe or you know expand and. All this kind of stuff was was sort of thrown in there, and it was clear that it was two guys who'd used, used PowerPoint for the first time and thought, we're going to use everything. And that was very much the vibe that I got from the opening scene of Sixth Day, was that it was a load of people who'd just been given 
After Effects or whatever for the first time and gone, you can do what with it? Should I attempt a synopsis of this so we don't just have to go through it bit by bit? Yeah, that's that. after the Terminator episode, that's a really good idea. Okay, so Arnold Schwarzenegger is Adam Gibson, who, along with his friend Hank, is a pilot for an adventure tourism company. They get a client called Drucker, who's a rich guy, Elon Musk type. Yeah, slightly less evil Elon Musk, I think we need to emphasise. Yes, with a very George Clooney in the 90s haircut. <laughs> the Caesar, I believe it was known. <laughs> we then kind of cut to Adam Gibson just waking up as if he's not remembered what's been going on. He has to buy a, a doll-slash-simulated human for his mm-hmm. his daughter to play with. There's some debate on whether to, they're going to replace their family dog, who just died, with a clone of the do- of that dog. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets back to his house, having bought this creepy doll human girl thing. Yeah, it's like something out of everybody's nightmares. It's genuinely one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. <laughs> It's like it's like the daughter of Get Ready for a Big Surprise Woman from Total Recall. He gets back to his house and discovers that there is someone in his house eating his birthday cake because it's his birthday. There's no reason for this. And it's also Arnold Schwarzenegger or Adam Gibson. To cut a long story short, it then becomes this whole kind of he needs to figure out why he was cloned. There's a lot of ins and outs. There's a lot of characters involved. There's an assassin team who are immortal because they're constantly cloned every time they die. Mm-hmm. They're always after him. They don't apparently need to kill him. They need to kill one of the Adams. But because he saw the other Adam and the other Adam hasn't seen him, that he's the one who they're targeting. Yep. Essentially, what it boils down to is the two Adams end up teaming up after it's discovered that the one we've been following is a clone and Drucker has been just essentially lobbying for human cloning to be allowed. That's all. That's kind of... It's an ethical bad guy thing, but he's not like a supervillain. He's just a bad guy with questionable ethics. Yeah. Well, I mean, apart from the bit where he turns to murder at the end, in which case he's absolutely... And not even at the end, really, because he's, his whole thing is murder the clone. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess so. I'm giving him a bit of a pass, really, aren't I? I shouldn't be doing that. I mean, I feel like I'm giving it far too much detail. It's essentially Arnold Schwarzenegger is cloned. We have to figure out which one of them is the clone. It turns out that the one we've been following is the clone. As if there was ever any doubt. Well, this is the thing, right? Okay, you know what? That's synopsis over with. Let's just get into the meat of it. Do you know what? I'll say, you've done your best there, right? And I think you've done the best you can do because this film has got a lot going on. You know, it has and it for such a it doesn't dumb know film. what it, but it doesn't know what it is. It's like, is it a murder mystery? Is it, you know, is it a thriller? Is it, you know, un- uncovering some kind of conspiracy? Does it later become almost kind of like a buddy cop film? It's it, it has no idea what it is. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, and sometimes it's like the tone as well as the genre is kind of fluid. Uh, fluid. It's like Michael Rooker as the head of the uh, assassination team, Marshall, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. He should be the scary one. He should strike fear into you. You know, like he's hunt, he's hunting the main character, but he's, he's like a Looney Tunes character, and sometimes he is, and sometimes he isn't. And it's like it depends on what scene he's in, or I guess whether 
he was improvising maybe i don't know it's kind of slightly comedic in parts and it doesn't need to be well, it's funny you mentioned Looney Tunes as well because I don't know if you noticed the uh, like the most nineties uh, villain ever. Uh, you know, the guy with the sort of like purple spiky hair. Did you catch what his name was? I didn't. Uh, Coyote. What? His name's Coyote. Yeah. So the uh, so the the, the basically the uh, the most nineties guy, purple spiky hair, nineties uh, metal and plastic necklace and everything. He's got ev- all of it. Is he's like the walking nineties. His character's called Coyote. And while I don't remember them referring to him as this in the film, if you were to go onto IMDb and look up up quotes, he's referred to as Wile E. Coyote. No. Which, when you see one of his demises where he basically gets run over, it all starts to make sense. So Looney Tunes is a really, really, like, strong reference for what is going oh, on God. With, uh, with 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 the bad guys. That's the guy who looks like um, Deacon Frost from Blade, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Frosted tips sort of guy. I'll be honest, I would rather have watched a film that followed the assassination team. You know, like four people who can't die because every time they die they get cloned and they just come back and have to redo their hair. <laughs> um and get their ears pierced again, which actually was quite a nice touch. It's like the idea of, like, oh, yeah, of course, you'd be fresh. I quite like that. You'd have to pierce your own ears again and steal the ears off your corpse that you're now looking at on the slab. <laughs> it's weird, but, like, that is more interesting than a guy who was clearly the clone waking up and going, oh, why is there a guy in my house? It's definitely a clone. What's the odds on he got there first if he's not the real one? How come you can't remember what's happened for the last hour? Well, so let's touch on this. You know, you, you know, they do like the, the 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 eye test, the the quote unquote eye test, uh, which is obviously where they're capturing the memories, and uh, and the blood test where they're obviously capturing the DNA, getting everything they need to clone those people. But why? Why are they doing that? I I did think this the second time I watched it actually, because um, the first time I was just kind of like, what's going on? No idea. This time I was like, I was watching it with a view to. Why did they do that? And the only thing I can think of is they do that to everyone they come in contact with just in case Drucker dies so everyone who he's ever met is none the wiser that he was killed. Yeah, exactly. And they, everyone, in, in case they die by association, they, they, just, they just clone people willy-nilly. <laughs> like, why is he lobbying for human cloning to be allowed when he's literally doing it to everybody he meets? Yeah, it's like... Who isn't a clone in this film? Everyone is a clone in this film. That's the twist. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a better twist than you're the clone. Like, yeah, of course he's the clone. We know. As as soon as he wakes up in that taxi, he's like, he's been cloned. Right. He's got the first thing you see when he wakes up in the taxi is like this weird montage of images that weren't from his memory. He saw in his head what was going on. I've left out a crucial detail. Go on. Before he's cloned, he he's only cloned because uh, Hank, who Michael Rappaport, pretends to be Adam when he's taking Drucker out in the helicopter. Yeah. And they one once Drucker's assassinated, as is Hank under Adam's yeah. name, they resurrect or clone. Sorry, they clone Adam, thinking he was the one who died. And then when they realise that he wasn't the one who died, they also have to clone Hank. Yeah. Just to clear up the mess, basically. Yeah, but they don't clear up the mess of the plot. <laughs> That's the problem. It goes bonkers. It does, and it's one of those films... Um, I can't remember what the names exactly were of the writers, but I think they're a husband and wife. 
So right. it's not like it's not like this was a a writer's room with like you know eight names attached and just like iteration, iteration, iteration. I mean, maybe it was, but I can't see any. I can't find anything, any information about that. It smacks of something that was originally one thing and became something else. I'd be interested. And I, by the way, I've done no research on this one at all. It probably won't surprise you, but. Yeah, this this seems to be like one of these things. Like, there's no way this was written for Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, because if it was, they usually give him like a German name or something he, like I that. I think he's a producer. But was it written for him? I wonder whether uh, maybe not. I wonder if it was one of those films that was just in trouble until he came aboard and had influence. Maybe he provided the producer thing, and then it's like, oh, I'd like to star as well. Yeah, definitely. It's like. This only got made because Arnold Schwarzenegger came on board at some point. I can totally see this being like, like if you, you know, if you go back into, I mean, this will probably come up when we eventually do Total Recall. But apparently, the put the first person who was cast or who was on the uh, on the books, as it were, before Schwarzenegger uh, was Patrick Swayze. And it's like, imagine what a different film Total Recall would have been if it was Patrick Swayze. Yeah, and. I think that this is that kind of film. Not saying it was for Swayze, but to me, this is the sort of film it was for someone else. I think I could imagine Swayze in this role, or someone like I don't know, someone a bit less. Well, I don't want to say wooden because it's a it's a very easy thing to say for Arnold, mm. but I feel like it needed someone who's a bit more twitchy and a bit more agile, a bit more paranoid. Um, I don't know who exactly you'd want. Nicholas Cage. <laughs> this is a Nicolas Cage film it needs that energy it needs something to propel it along because it's a little slow uh, despite all the stuff that's going on yeah at no point in this did Swartz like confused as you mentioned earlier definitely he, he gets across that confused thing at no point did he seem to be in peril you know at, at no, no point did he seem to be afraid or anything like that he was just like confused and a bit frustrated and uh, and that made him go incredibly murderous. At... <laughs> he he killed the same guy twice, and the second time went stay dead. This time it's like, dude, you you're a pilot for a, an adventure touring company. How have you suddenly become this cold hard killer? Right, and I was wondering this because he went from like naught to murder really really quickly, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't until later on in the uh, in the film, and this is going to be sort of jumping around a little bit. Uh, he was referred to as like he'd been in some kind of war, so he he was like the a Amazon uh, war, no, the rainforest war. That was it, yeah. So it's kind of like, and it's a, a complete throwaway like, throwaway line. But I do wonder if there was you know either somewhere on the cutting room floor or maybe it never made it past the first draft of the script. But you know this guy's got some kind of backstory where he's like a military hero or something, and th- or you know even like a, a mercenary or something like that. And this extreme sports tourism company is his retirement, and he just wants a quiet life. Which is fine, but then you've got to give some indication. Because that's my first thing. Well, there's a lot in common, I think, with Total Recall. It's like the guy who doesn't know... He's even wearing the same jacket, for God's sake. It's just a different film. <laughs> he's, just, he's a guy who doesn't really know what's happening. Everyone around him seems to... He's being chased. It's it's very similar setup. The crucial difference is despite, you know, depending on what you believe in terms of how Total Recall shakes out, he's been programmed with this spy personality, so that's how he knows how to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Or he always was a, a cold hard killer kind of thing. Yeah. And like, here, there's no justification for it. He's just a guy who gets murdery. 
Yeah, there was a, a throwaway line about 10 minutes or something before the end of the film. Other than, you know, before that, you're just kind of like, oh, right, this regular Joe kind of guy is just really comfortable with killing people. And I think the only reason they can sell that with Arnold Schwarzenegger is because of the history that you've got watching Arnold Schwarzenegger films where he gets murdery really, really quickly. And it's there's something to be said for the fact that that's where I think the film picks up a little bit. Because, like I say, you don't buy him as a normal guy, and they know that, so they get the normal guy a bit over with as quick as they can and get him into murder mode. And it's like, that's fine, but that's why you don't cast Arnie for this. Yeah, definitely. But even so, there's the bit with uh, like Wiley Coyote where he um, he essentially so they're chasing him in his car. Um, the he slams his brakes on. The bad guy's driving to the back of him. Wiley Coyote goes flying, lands on the road, and then Arnie oh so gleefully then runs him over, and he's laughing while he does it. Yep, that's his first kill as well, isn't it? That's his confirmed. That's, his, that's, that's, that's yeah. him getting the first part of his double O license. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I do want to mention something about that scene. I can't remember the, what's the female killer's name? Talia. Yeah, Talia, that's it. Considering in the featurette that I watched, Arnold says it's a really good script. Mm-hmm. There's an exchange, which I just want to point out. Um, Talia and Arnold are in the car, and the kind of... The, I guess they're supposed to be kind of fighting, but nothing's really happening he's just yep. kind of grabbed her and he says who are you and she says i was hired to kill you that's all i know what he just asked who you are like do you not do you not know your name that's not a question that you can't answer he didn't say who sent you he didn't say what's this all about he said who are you yeah uh, yeah that doesn't land that does it and i missed that at the time but you're absolutely right and it's funny you say that like arnie says that it's a yeah, it's a really good script he never has anything bad to say about any film that he's in. Any film that he's in, he's like, <laughs> it's great. Anything that is involved... You go and look at any interview with Schwarzenegger about any of his films, and he thinks they are great. He thinks they're absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's a positive guy, and I quite like that about him. He's like, he's not got a bad word to say about it, because like, it's what that whole thing of, it's a miracle any film gets made, no one sets out to make a bad film kind of thing. I think he's yeah, one yeah. of those guys who's just like, look, People worked hard on this. I'm just going to say that it's good, even if it's not. And I, I kind of respect that to some degree, but at the same time, man, have, <laughs> some, have some objectivity, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I think he, I mean, especially with this one, you know what? If he's a, he's a producer on there, right? So it's his job to basically like make sure the film happens, make sure it sells. Uh, that's one thing. I mean, I've got lots of respect for, um, for, for Schwarzenegger, you know, notwithstanding some of his less. Um, uh, I guess less noble kind of um, you know things that he's got up to in his life, particularly with women. But one thing, he he's a businessman, do you know what I mean? And I think that's that's his approach to films. Is at the end of the day, he's a businessman and he needs to sell this. And so, and you know, you you can watch an interview as proof. Watch any interview where he's asked about uh, Planet Hollywood when he was still behind that, and they even take the piss out of it in Last Action Hero. When they they're getting together with a film at the end, and, uh, and Maria Shriver, his wife, says, "Don't mention the restaurant. Just don't mention the restaurant." And inevitably, he's being interviewed, and he's going, "Oh yeah, we've got all this like merchandise at the restaurant now," because he <laughs> even at that point, he's known for just like shilling everything he's involved in. Oh wow! I mean, I, sorry, ran over. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
anti-Schwarzenegger rant over on this pro-Schwarzenegger podcast. I mean, yeah, he's he's definitely got his faults, but there's there's something to be said for positivity, and I quite like that. It's for everyone else to say, no, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, can I just uh, point one thing out with this film? Bluetooth headsets. Okay. Is that a thing in it? Yeah. lots, of, Especially with the... Um, the first one I noticed it on was uh, Michael Rooker's character. What was he, Marshall, did you say? Yeah. As soon as I spotted it, I was like, oh, right, yeah, because Bluetooth headsets were futuristic at the time. Were they around in 2000? I don't know. They'd have been coming out brand new because, again, uh, you know, fascinating fact for the listener, I was working um, for a mobile phone network in about 2003. I started working for, uh, for a mobile phone network and Bluetooth headsets were just kind of like the big thing just coming out around about that time. And there was a lot of people that we saw um, in public who would have a Bluetooth headset on all the time, and it was usually the same people who would also have their mobile phone clipped to their belt. Yeah, I remember. They were always wearing a suit. They were very. Yeah. The, they were the guys being parented in um, Trigger Happy TV. Uh-huh. The, the, the loud, obnoxious people who want you to know that they've got some expensive tech. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on the phone. I don't look like I'm on the phone, but I am on the phone. Yeah. Um, the, this film actually predicted a couple of things, I think. Mm. One is a smart fridge. Yeah. Where he's actually got a readout where it's like, you're out of milk, press this button, order more milk. He's got an Amazon Dash button on his fridge. Mm-hmm. That's probably it, actually. No, no. Um, they they kind of nailed quite a few things, I thought, they, um, in terms of future tech. They had so I guess this was just coming out at the time as well, but voice recognition. So when he, uh, he I can't remember who he phones up. He phones up a company and uh, and it's asking him to like, you know, choose his options when he's getting through on the automated uh, voice system at the start. Yes, and, yeah. and so rather than prep, you know, instead of press one, press two, he's, he's basically talking to it. Which I remember um, trying to book, and this is going back to the same sort of era. So again, like early to mid two thousands, I remember trying to book a train. Uh, using an early voice recognition system, and it was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> and uh, and so so definitely in this film, it is a reference to future tech. Future tech that at the time, whilst emerging, did not work very well at all. So there was that. Yeah, um, th- it's also they had the uh, multiple choice call for the police, mm-hmm. where it's like, uh, is the felony being committed right now? It's like, that was put in as a joke. And yep. then uh, as someone who grew up in a small town where the police station after 8pm was completely empty and you had to use an intercom which went to a, a town 20 miles away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very similar process. And also, how familiar are you with the term dildonics? <laughs> <laughs> I am not at all familiar with it, but it sounds like I think I know what it's going to be. Fantastic. So, again, I think this is something where they kind of heard the rumour of it and that it was coming, and uh, so to speak. Uh, yeah, so essentially, uh, dildonics are a way for people to... Um, it's a smart device, shall we say, for people to pleasure each other through oh, is, the internet. Oh, this is Hank's girlfriend. And this is Hank's girlfriend. So Hank gets in that chair, and then straight away, the uh, the you know, the sort of like the visor comes down, so it's like a VR sort of thing, mm-hmm. and uh, and how he can feel it on, you know, is it when Adam later says that I could feel it under under in my zipper? <laughs> yeah, there's also a point where um, when Adam first goes to Hank's house to basically tell him that he's been cloned, he 
at the time, Hank is in the chair with his girlfriend. I don't know if she's even got a name. He was kind of hovering over him. Yeah. And you don't see what's going on, but he, he basically, when the door knocks, he says, you're going to have to do my, my zipper. Yep. So she can physically interact, right? He said he said it earlier on that you, as long as you believe it's happening, it's happening kind of thing. Like, if you can feel it, it's it's real. I guess so. So she's a, 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 a hard light projection. <laughs> yeah. So he tells her to, to zip up his fly and then immediately stands up through her. It's like, make up your mind over what this technology can do. <laughs> yeah, surely I mean, he's could... the one who's doing it. Yeah, I assume so. There's a lot of weird stuff uh, in there, but that 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 was definitely something. Uh, I mean, obviously holograms have been messed around with ages, but the idea of uh, smart devices that people are using for sex—that's um, real. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's obviously come true. And yeah, I'm sure there was some other stuff in there. One thing that really jumps out to me as like really shorthand for this is in the future is weird hubcaps on cars. You've noticed that cars—they always have like. You can never see the inner workings of a of a car tire or anything like yeah, that. It's always they've, they've either smooth. got a solid piece over them or it sticks out a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, is it convex or concave? Whichever one convex, I think, is the out. Convex out-y. is where it sticks out. Yeah. Yeah. Did you also notice that the Repet? Oh, by the way, there's a company called Repet. I don't know if anyone ever mentioned it in the film. Certainly not <laughs> fifteen times in the first three minutes. There's a TV, a TV advert for it. I think does the no the the girl doesn't mention it. She mentions the Simpal, which yep. is the uh, the girl. I can't remember her name. The doll, Cindy. Cindy. Yeah. But then once the dog dies, Repet comes up over and over and over again. It's like his wife mentions it. Hank mentions it like eight times. Mm-hmm. He just will. It's it's like yeah, we we get it. We get it. The dog has died, and Arnie's on the fence over whether or not he's going to allow a cloned pet in his house. He's against it until the very end. But yeah, Repair is basically the Builder Bear workshop. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? And it's the same. It's actually the same place that you get the Simpal from. Yeah, you get cloned animals and fake humans all in this Builder Bear workshop. Yeah, and help me out with this one um, because th- this is something I was I was stuck on. I was wondering about when Adam, when Arnie's character gets to um, gets into this place and he starts seeing the clones, or maybe even before that, we see the the clones sort of like floating around in the tanks, and they're all they're sort of like these Pillsbury Doughboy looking blanks, right? Yeah, they're called blanks as well. Were they called blanks in the film? Right. Okay. So does that mean then that? everybody is based on this one blank form and so they just pull out one of these blanks and then they put the dna in there and the memories and then it turns into a person i think that's the gist yeah that doesn't make any oh, okay do you know what i was about to say that doesn't make any sense but i could say that about so much from this film so there hardly seems any point it does feel a little white supremacist as well because they're all the same color yeah so I, I assume with, for example, I suppose they never actually referenced with uh, Terry Crews, his character He's being... He's the only one who's never mentioned as being cloned. Yeah, he never refers to being cloned himself. He never, we never see him being cloned at all in it anyway. So yeah, maybe that's maybe they put the pigmentation in afterwards. I don't know. But it definitely seems to be suggesting that the default blank 
form of a human is a white doe dummy. Yeah, that's covered in sort of like pork pie jelly, which for anyone who doesn't know what a pork pie is, I guess is just Vaseline. Yeah. It's, yeah, we, don't have, we, don't have pie, we don't have pies with Vaseline in them. Um, <laughs> I'm explaining this badly. It's a kind of a weird translucent jelly. So, yeah, it's. I suppose that part of the film, on hindsight, hasn't aged very well. <laughs> is that they're the well, default. Also, Terry Crews is the only non-white character in it. Mm. As far as I can remember. Of notes, certainly. Like, maybe some background characters. I don't think there's even incidental characters that aren't white. It's just a bit a bit weird to see. And this is Terry Crews looking almost identical um, what, 21 years ago at the point of recording as he does now. It's his first film as well. I didn't realise that. Was it? Does this predate Training Day? I've not seen Training Day so I wouldn't know but I think... Uh, oh God, your face. Sorry. I've never. How I've never... dare you? Next thing you'll be telling me that you don't like The Godfather. I've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> send uh, your uh, angry tweets to at podcast action hero um i yeah i haven't i haven't really got a taste for movies set in in the crime world never have had right i get stressed out by people who are in over their heads and in deep <laughs> with if we're in deep with criminals i don't like it it just puts me oh out. you must have found this film particularly distressing then it's absolutely fine when I don't believe a single word of it. Uh, so, I don't even know where we're up to in this film now, to be fair. But oh, right. This film is... The, the the thing that surprised me is that neither Arnie died. Yeah. I thought for sure they were setting up the, the, the concept of the guy who realises he's a clone, who realises he's got a shortened lifespan because these clones have been created with built-in diseases... Mm-hmm. to make sure that Drucker can control well, yeah, basically control them and just keep cloning them if they need to. I thought that Adam would have been cloned just like everyone else with a genetic defect or a disease that would kill him within three to five years or however long the time span was. And he was going to go, once he realised he was a clone, came to peace with it, he was either going to sacrifice himself for the other original Adam and his family uh, probably in a blaze of glory as he takes down this building with all this thermite they're planting. Or he was just going to kind of survive it and live out his days knowing that he's only got three to five years left and thinking, I'm, go- I'm going to do something with my life. Which is kind of how he leaves the film, going mm-hmm. off on his, going out to sea with his helicopters, okay? To Argentina he's going. He's heading to Argentina to set up the South American uh, branch of Double X, whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Double X Expedition, no, something like that. Um, but you, I don't know. I just expected that that would be a kind of a bit, either a bittersweet ending where he, you know, he's not got long left, but he's at least mm-hmm. at peace with himself, or he he sacrificed himself for the greater good. But they both just go, yep, we're we're both around. I've got a theory on this, right, uh, which I've just come up with now, which is that I can imagine that the original ending for this was that it was a case of, all right, so we find out that our Arnie, if you like, you know, the one that wakes up in the taxi, we find out that he is the clone, 
which I can imagine that that probably was a reveal originally. And then not only that, we've already established, because otherwise it doesn't make any sense, but we've already established that they build in genetic defects, um, which is, I think cystic fibrosis is what Robert Duvall's wife dies yeah, of. Was Robert right? Duvall, who's basically the scientist who made cloning possible. Yeah, right. Um, so I, I think that the original ending for this was that uh, we find out then that our Arnie is the clone, and not only that, but he has genetic defects and he's going to die, and he's going to spend the last of his days out in Argentina sipping margaritas on the beach, you know, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And then I can imagine that test audiences probably <laughs> went, number one, why are we all just figuring out now that he's the clone? This is extremely confusing. They didn't like the fact, maybe, that they found out at that point, and probably tested that uh, finding out that Arnie was going to die uh, because of the genetic defect probably turned the audience off. So I can imagine that afterwards they went in and either they consecutively shot those, you know, those, those alternate endings anyway, or it was a, um, it was like a reshoot. That's what that reeks of to me because why would you tip your hand in the first sort of 30 minutes of the film that this guy is definitely the clone. There's no doubt, right? Mm -hmm. And why would you... And this brings me on to something uh, that uh, I'll try and mention before we finish. But then why would you sort of like introduce this thing about the genetic defects if you then don't follow up with it at any point in the rest of the film? Yeah, there's there's quite a few things that they don't follow up on. Um, one is the... Oh, well, one is that the the genetic defects. It's like maybe Robert Duvall was just in a good mood that day, just didn't give Adam uh -huh. a, a defect. But also, they don't follow up on the senator and his son that they're needing to lobby. Uh, yeah, that is a speaker day with the fascinating eyebrows. Yeah, who said he had a his child when he was fifty? Clearly, is seventy plus. Mm -hmm. And um, we never see his son, but I imagine he's talking like he's a kid. Yeah, they talk about him like he's a child. I just think there's there's like a there's a very first draft quality about this whole thing where they're just not really figured out everybody's arc really, mm -hmm. or like what thing. If you take things to a logical extreme, in an Arnie movie, you don't take things to a logical extreme very often. But you know, I just think there's a lot of stuff left hanging. A hell of a lot of stuff left hanging. And some stuff that you want to find, you know, you want to jump into the meat of a little bit more is left alone. Like Hank. Hank, who's just assassinated by... Uh, okay, he, he's assassinated in his house, and then that's basically it. We never see any see or hear anything of Hank again, except for his virtual girlfriend who makes a joke about, is he sleeping on the floor again? What a silly <laughs> Billy, or something like that. But the guy who kills him starts quoting scripture yeah, about, about the sixth day, and it's this whole religious thing, and says, I think he says, God forgive me, and then shoots himself. Yep. That's never brought up again. There's no kind of religious aspect to this film again. I was, at that point, I was thinking, oh, maybe this is like a, there's a shadowy religious organization that's fighting this clone manufacturing science wing, and they've had this ongoing battle before, and he's just caught up in the middle of it. But that's never brought up again. Yeah, there's no setup. There's no sort of like uh, hinting that there's any kind of 
um, sort of like religious group. Uh, but, right, so for me, that is perhaps trying to be a little bit of a commentary on uh, religious groups that sort of like, uh, you know, bomb abortion clinics and, uh, and and murder abortion doctors and all that kind of stuff. It had that kind of vibe. But other than, I think really briefly, when, uh, when Arnie first arrives at um, the pet place, whatever it's called, remind me? Repet. Yeah, when he arrives at Repet and Rehuman, which it later turns out to be, as you say, all in the one place. There's a there's a protest going on outside, and I think there might have been some some like church like signs out there. But yeah, yeah. other than that, it's it, I get, and this is why it doesn't make sense because like you would you've got that with no signposting at all. All right, mm-hmm. no kind of like setup, and then like you say, no going back to it again at a future point, and yet you've got that perfect sort of setup of the genetic defects, and you're like, I see where this is going, and then later you're like. Oh no, never mind. Yeah, I guess it was nothing because there is one point, and this is this is going to be my recurring segment on these ones, and I'm I'm very ranty today, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> but this is going to be one of my recurring things, which is going to be the Chekhov's gun reference again, which is for those who aren't familiar, Chekhov's gun basically it's the, it's the famous playwright um, Anton Chekhov, I think he was, who said from Star Trek. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, that's probably not his first name, is it? I don't know. Don't look that up, anybody. <laughs> like, that needs fact-checking. <laughs> oh, oh, no. If anybody's listening to this for any kind of accuracy, you're in the wrong place. But, yeah, essentially Chekhov said that if there's going to be like a, a gun or a rifle on the wall in a scene, then at some point within that play, within that story, that gun has to be used. Otherwise, why is it there? And this is it, and it's like... It's a really sort of classic thing where you have something in a scene earlier on in the film or earlier on in the story that establishes that when it gets used later, you're like, ah, right, okay, that makes sense. And the genetic defect thing is the classic thing where the gun is in the scene, but it doesn't get used. Whereas the um, the like religious sort of like zealot character who kills Hank... He's the sort of thing where this gun appears out of fucking nowhere, and you're like, I didn't even know there was a gun in this scene. The only time that they do this right in this film, if you ask me, is with the oxygen tanks towards yes. the end of the film. Because, and I wrote this down, Chekhov's oxygen tanks. Because <laughs> there's a bit where Arnold Schwarzenegger's character walks past these oxygen tanks, he looks at them, the camera lingers on them, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder if they'll come into it later. And surprisingly for this film, yes, they did. But also, I don't know if that was the intent behind them showing that, because immediately after he notices them, he straps thermite to them with a with a lot of duct tape. So he's not immediately, not immediately, because right, this is this is where maybe maybe they show it twice then. Yeah, they do. This is where you're understandably getting confused. So they first show it when Arnold Schwarzenegger won or I guess two technically, our Arnold Schwarzenegger that we've been following, the clone, he walks into the repet place, whatever the organization's called, he walks in there, looks at them, carries on walking, and starts shooting all the cameras and and destroying all them. Oh, okay. And that's when they then realise that all the other Arnold Schwarzenegger, the other Adam, is in here, and he then walks in, and that's when he straps those bombs to the oxygen tanks. Okay, right, yeah, 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 got you. Because that's, that's the one I was thinking of, was the other one. 
Yeah, so you've got... It's only a few minutes apart, but it's kind of like, ah, I see where they're going with this. I think... Uh, how do we how do we differentiate them when we're talking about them? I think maybe pilot jacket and tweed jacket. I mean, we've got about five minutes left on this podcast, so it's probably a bit too, too late to be trying to differentiate between them at this point. That's a point. fair point. <laughs> um, I did want to bring up, when I watched the featurette, just, a, just a, another little Arnie statement. A couple of Arnie statements, actually. Uh, one is that Arnold reckons this is a story everybody can identify with. Oh, okay. Because we've all been there, right? We've all had some son of a bitch smoke-ass doggies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he smoked my stogie. No one calls them stogies except for Arnold. Exactly. <laughs> and there was also a quote... When um, when he's driving his car, uh, when he steals his own car and is being chased in what is basically the A-team van by the uh, the Immortal Assassins, yeah. that scene, the stunt coordinator in the featurette says, when Arnold gets in a car, he really drives it. And then it just shows you him driving a fake car. <laughs> so he doesn't really drive it. <laughs> he doesn't even remotely drive it. <laughs> And I, I don't know how much of this film is just <laughs> Arnold's vanity project. I feel like this may be like, had he done many, I mean, it's not a serious role, but had he, re, had, it's quite muted for him. You know, there's, right. there's only one ah in it yep. when, he, when he jumps out of the window near the end. And there's no, it's not like a, he, he never shows his muscles or mm-hmm. does any, doesn't do any of that 80s kind of action hero stuff. He's had a decade to calm down, to be fair. But it feels like this is him trying to play it down a little bit and do some transition into something a little bit more serious. And I feel like that maybe part of how this got made is just, I want to do this. Can you... Can you change the film around so I get to be this and I can say this and I get to say Stogie? <laughs> yeah, because he definitely brought that. Yeah, to to that character. There's there's no way they wrote because again, there's no way this film was written for Alice Schwarzenegger. I'm not having it. No. Nope. So, somebody can come in and comment now. I don't believe you. There's no way this was written for somebody else, and then he got involved at some point, and I don't know why, but. There was a, and I think this was why I, when I first watched this, I really didn't sort of jazz with it, because I think at the time, and I think maybe there's still an argument for this, and, you know, do you know what, come at me if if you disagree with it, the last properly good Arnold Schwarzenegger film was True Lies, which was what, 94, or something like that, that was the last good one, and then after that, something changed. And here's my theory. Arnold Schwarzenegger had kids. Alright. He he'd had kids like for a few years before that, but I think he had sort of young kids who were sort of a school uh school going age. And I kinda get the feeling that he then started to want to make films for a younger audience that his kids would be able to watch. Which is why we got Jingle All the Way. And I tell you what, if when we spin the wheel of pain at this episode and we get Jingle All the Fucking Way, I'm not going to be happy. Because <laughs> you know what's going to happen. We're going to have to watch it at some point. But after True Lies, there genuinely seemed to be a real switch in the kind of films that he was making. 
even things like end of days and uh, and and collateral they weren't they weren't quite what he was used to doing and i wonder how much of it is him getting older even though he's obviously still in incredible shape for his age at this time and now just not necessarily having the physicality to be able to pull off a lot of the stuff that he was doing in his the thing is films. that there's also a lot to be said for the way that the action hero changed because with uh die hard Mm-hmm. They kind of changed the game a little bit as far as like it doesn't need to be a guy who looks like he can like knock down a building with his fist. It mm-hmm. can just be a regular guy, and I think that was the start of it. But it took a while to take hold, and then by the mid nineties, it was just like anyone could really be an action hero. You just said needed to be in decent shape, but it was more about the character, and I think he just struggled to change with the times. That's a really good point. I hadn't really necessarily considered that. It's, you know, it's somebody trying to transition to fit into those new kind of action roles. And fit is the right word because he doesn't really fit in many places, Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, I mean, he he created his own niche. People made films for him. But then when his type of film fell out of fashion, he had to then become a just a regular movie star. Yeah. And, you know, not everyone's cut out for that. It, it's kind of a testament to how big his name was in the beginning that he kept getting roles like this for so yeah. long. Because, honestly, it's, it, I don't want to be cruel, but he's not really an actor. Okay. Uh, yeah. Right, okay, so historically, I think you're absolutely right. But I think as we start to... And I'm not sure how many of his more recent films you've seen, but I think as we start to see and, and talk about Moru's recent work, to me, he's having something of a, I don't know if like a, a resurgence or a revival or something like that. But what I will say is one of the reasons, like this film and maybe Jingle All the Way, are a low point for me in in it. And I think this, when when I watched this, this was him on the downward slope. I thought he had a really meteoric rise really quickly early on in his career. Like Terminator, just you know, slingshot him right out into uh, into the stratosphere with his career. And in a very very short space of time, he did some absolutely amazing films that completely transformed what an action film could be. And then within ten years, I think he was his career was starting to be on its way down. In terms of like. You know, box office maybe, and in terms of like certainly what he was getting paid, it was still really high. But I think in terms of quality, in terms of writing, and in terms of reception for a lot of his films, um, they were they were going down a little bit. Some of his newer stuff, I think he's maybe coming back. So I'm looking forward to when we get to watch and talk about some of those, like postmodern kind of. Yeah, I think he's he he seems to have from what I can see just from the outside, having not seen. I don't think I've seen anything. I started watching the one where he's a, a small town sheriff in an abandoned <laughs> town. That didn't do again, much for me. Again, but. again, it's like just nobody mentioned. Well, maybe they do, but it's like why, why, how does this huge Austrian man become the sheriff <laughs> of a tiny town? I don't remember them talking about it. But I think he's like he's he's kind of in that JCVD. Yeah, he's in that kind of mold now. Where he's like he he's very aware of who he is in the grand scheme of things, and he's mm-hmm. kind of using that to either using his his real life persona to inform the character that he's playing, or he's doing a comment on it. 
from what I can tell. Yeah. I mean, I, like I say, I've not seen. I don't think I've seen anything of his. Other than that, ten minutes I started watching of that since this film. This is the latest of his films I've seen. Right. So, yeah, we'll we'll get into where Last Stand. There's a, there's a bit in Last Stand which I look forward to talking about in more detail. Where he basically um, he gets knocked out, and I think he's knocked out for maybe five to ten minutes of the film, while the the, the film continues without him. Okay. And I think what he's what he seems to be doing um, more recently is. A recognizing that he is an older guy, you know, he's um, and all older guys in action films are having a bit of a moment as well. You know, you've got like Liam Neeson in Taken, sort of showing, and even Liam Neeson keeps saying, "I'm not doing any more action films." And then the next year, he's got another action film coming out. But what I think Arnold Schwarzenegger's doing is he's making films that speak to the same audience that watched them in the eighties and the nineties but recognising that the same audience has aged with him. And so a lot of his new films are about what it's like to be old and not as uh, fit and uh, and not as indestructible as you used to be. And that's interesting. Well, yeah, because that's what a lot of us are feeling is, if, you've ever, if you watch the TV show Cobra Kai, which, is a, you know, which follows on from the original Karate Kid films in the 80s, Cobra Kai hasn't been made for a new audience it's made for the same audience that the original Karate Kid films were for so the original Karate Kid films were, were family films they were for kids Cobra Kai is for the older people who the same people who've grown up now and are feeling the bitter disappointment of life and <laughs> what, it, what it feels like to not live up to the original promise that you had when you were younger and and I, I do you know what I kind of like that sort of stuff and I think that's where Arne is going with some of his recent films is that you know, you can't be the Terminator forever, and whether you like it or can't not, you can't. <laughs> well, on the one hand, is the one um, film he's not been in that's got the word Terminator on it. Well, do you know what? He's old, but he's not obsolete. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't really know if I have anything more to say about this film. I mean, I, I could probably say a lot more about this film, but I don't oh, know if I should. So it's I've probably... got so many more notes, but, you know. <laughs> It'd be interesting if anybody's listened to this who's never seen this film, for them to try and give us a, uh, a wrap-up, give their own synopsis what it was about. I suspect they won't have a clue, but that's fine. We Last time we did a, is it do it now or put the cookie down? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to present that question to you first. So... I'm almost having second thoughts about this binary rating system that we've got, whether it's either, yes, watch it, do it now, or no, don't watch it, put the cookie down, because, uh, again, it's... I would say if you're like me when this film came out 20-whatever years ago, uh, you are an Arnold Schwarzenegger purist, so you're very much... Your idea of Arnie is him in his prime with Terminator and... Commando and T2 and True Lies all those, Total Recall if that is your Arnold Schwarzenegger and you've not seen Sixth Day probably don't watch it because it's it's a guy who seems to be on, on a downward slope and you're probably only going to be disappointed if you're not that sort of precious if you were a huge fan of the remake of Total Recall uh, yeah, give it a watch because stylistically, there's a lot. There's a lot this film has got in common with it. Uh, I'm I'm gonna lean towards put the cookie down. 
for this one. As much as I am the guy who knows him from the earlier films and has only seen this for the first time, and despite my not caring to begin with, growing to think it's not so bad, it's kind of a while you're doing something else film, once you realise you don't have to pay attention because it doesn't pay off in any way for you to pay attention, I'm on the fence. It's ex- it's the exact midpoint between worth watching and not worth watching. And do the cookie th- now. Do the cookie now. Um, <laughs> because it's so 50-50, I'm going to say do it now because you said put the cookie down. So right. we've come out with a rating of do the cookie now. Yeah. It's not a personal... <laughs> it's, personally... I, I wouldn't know what to say, but I, as, a, as a whole, as a podcast, I think we're saying, eh. Yeah, I think it's it's completely um, appropriate that the ending of this podcast, the outcome, is unsatisfactory with no real resolution. <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> because that's the fucking film. <laughs> Can we also perhaps have some music in the background that varies wildly from <laughs> classical to synth to Nine Inch Nails to whatever the hell. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about the music. What is going on there? I looked it up last night. The only reason I want to bring it up is Go that it's, a, it's the guy who wrote Owner of a Lonely Heart for Yes. <laughs> How do you write such a no, good song? No, it makes song? less sense. It makes less sense. What, what was the music all by one guy? It, yeah. No, I'm not having that. It's by one guy who has won awards for film composition. Not for this one, though. I don't think so. Little little addendum there. Shall we choose the next film? I've been looking forward to this. Well, let's spin the wheel of pain. So, the next film that we're going to be watching and talking about is... Yes! Kindergarten Cop. How is that any better than Jingle All The Way? What? Oh, no. Right. Do you know what? I don't want to give spoilers away. Um, I'm not... You might... People are potentially going to be able to guess what my rating is going to be for this film. (laughs) Based purely on my reaction now. (laughs) Wow. And maybe yours too. All right, okay. No, I I haven't seen it. Ooh, conflict. I still haven't seen Kindergarten Cop. Oh, my God. You know what you're like when you're a young teenager. You wouldn't want to watch anything that's considered a family film. Yeah, I'm looking forward to you and I watching this film, uh, either together or separately, but certainly talking about it afterwards, because family film, we'll see. But yeah, I think think that's us coming to a close. So uh, I'll just say thanks to everybody for listening. And yeah, tune in next time for when we talk about and I guess massively disagree about Kindergarten Cop. We might not disagree, I might love it. We'll see, we'll see. I hope we disagree because I prefer it when we argue. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, thanks for listening everyone. I've been Gavin. I've been Gavin. And this has been Podcast Action Hero. Speak to you next time. Bye.